We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to The Uncontested an Oklahoma City Thunder and NBA podcast featuring Jacob. All you haters come at me. Taylor. You're a step past a hater like I'm Rondo. Upgrade your baby mama to a condo. Nick. I really wouldn't mind taking a flyer on Swaggy P. Kamiar. I just got done taking a nap. And Justin. I'm too fast. What is up, everyone? Hope you all have enjoyed your weekend. You're listening to The Uncontested, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome to Episode 7 of our Season Preview Series. Uh, we are getting close to the end here, as we only have one more episode next week, which is crazy. This has flown by, uh, and we're getting closer and closer to the season, you know, with, with training camp starting tomorrow. So we're, we're very excited. We're super appreciative of you guys for, for tuning in and listening to all of these. We've had an incredible response from you all. We're very, very grateful. Um, next week, it will include the last couple Western Conference teams, such as the Rockets and the Warriors, as well as a couple teams we had to make up due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, for example, like the, I believe the Raptors we're going to be scheduling next week. So like I said, you know, we're really excited. You guys have given us uh, incredible feedback. You guys, it seems like you, everybody's really enjoyed this. We're so appreciative of our guests who have come on and the networking that we've made because of this. And especially since, since we are here at the end of our season preview series uh, with only one more episode left, I just wanted to take some time to really thank you guys for tuning in and, and supporting us and, and making this all, all happen. So, so on this week's episode, episode seven, we have Chris Dewar for the Sacramento Kings season preview. Uh, he's with KHQA Sports. He's the sports director over there, and he's a Sacramento native, so had some great insight on the Kings. Next, we have John English of Jedi and Germs, the Jedi and Germs podcast. Uh, you guys may remember if you've, you've been listening to us from the very beginning when we first started the Uncontested, one of the first things we did, uh, it was around playoff time and the Thunder were playing the Jazz in the uh, first round of the playoffs this past year. 
and we had John on to come and preview the, the series with us. So we're really appreciative of him coming back and uh, really thankful that we've been able to stay in touch with him. Next, we have Keith Feltner-Smith and Ty Delbridge of the Trailcasters podcast, another recurring guest who actually came on this past year to preview the, the first round with the Thunder and Blazers uh, uh, playoff series. Uh, they came on earlier this year, and we're really grateful for them for keeping in touch as well. And then finally, we have Brendan Vote of dnvr.com, and he came on to cover the Nuggets. So just really quick before we get started, a little disclaimer. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties with Chris and our Kings podcast uh, due to network issues. We were able to go in and do a little bit of editing with GarageBand, and it's not perfect by any means in terms of quality, but we were able to fix it for the most part, and we wanted to keep it because we felt like Chris just gave us such great content, and it's really worth a listen, especially for an extremely interesting uh, Sacramento Kings team. So without further ado, here is Chris Dewar to talk to Sacramento Kings with Jacob. All right, so now we're back. We have Chris Dewar. He is the sports director at KHQA in Illinois. And he is a longtime Sacramento Kings fan, and he's a native of Sacramento, I, I guess, uh, redisposed to Illinois. Um, Chris, how are you doing today, man? I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, nice for the first time in 13 years to actually have a positive presentation on the Sacramento <laughs> Kings. I can assure you the last, uh, last decade plus has been rough on the stomach lining of all of us. Oh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you bring that up because the Kings for me are a really interesting team going into this season. Um, so, so let's revisit what's happened in the past few months for Sacramento. Uh, they end the season almost at 500, 39 and 43 last season, which was good for ninth in the West, just on the outside, looking in on the playoffs, almost made their first playoff berth. And gosh, how many years has it been now? Eight since the, Oh, 13. Yeah, it's been 13. Last time the Kings, yeah, the last time the Kings made the playoffs, the core nucleus there was Bonzi oh Wells gosh. on our test. So it has been, yeah, yeah. it's been a minute. So just on the doorstep last season, uh, unfortunately could not get in. Uh, summertime rolls around. Uh, the Kings do not have their own first round draft pick. That went to the Boston Celtics. But over the course of the summer, uh, the Kings lose Willie Cauley Stein. They lose Frank Mason, Costa Kufos, Corey Brewer, and Troy Williams. Really, of those guys, there's two, two and a half, I guess you can maybe argue, um, really solid rotation players for the Kings. So not a whole lot of, of talent going out the door. But on the flip side, coming in, Corey Joseph, Trevor Ariza, Rashawn Holmes, Tyler Lydon, Dwayne Dedman, and then we'll also kind of put Harrison Barnes in this conversation that the Kings acquired him at the trade deadline, but then were able to to extend his contract and, and bring him on for the long term. Uh, so all of those guys coming into Sacramento and then in the draft in the second round, bringing in Justin James, Kyle Guy, and then this last guy, I'm horrible with Eastern Europe, European names, and there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to pronounce this. Uh, Vanya Marinakovic? Which is a draft ash, so I don't think you'll have to pronounce that very often, Jacob. Oh, Thank goodness. Um, so a, a lot of new talent, a lot of kind of high-end talent coming in. Uh, Dave Yeager also gets fired over the summer, and Luke Walton comes in to take his place. And then as far as money is concerned, Sacramento Kings, uh, $4.9 million over the cap. They are nowhere near the luxury tax, uh, but they are o operating over the cap now. And going into 2019-2020, Westgate has them at 37 and a half wins, which actually bumped them down a peg in the West to the 10th seed instead of the ninth where they ended last year. 
So I guess, Chris, first one, first question I have for you. Uh, let's start with the coach. How did you feel about the firing of Dave Yeager uh, and then bringing in Luke Walton, who also uh, got canned at the end of last year in Los Angeles? First of all, Jacob, talk about the optics of that, because I think maybe as a Sacramento Kings fan coming off the most positive season again in 13 years, there's good fortune within the city. New arena, magnificent new arena. The relocation saga is dead. We don't have to worry about the Sacramento Kings being pushed anywhere by Maloofs and their financial problems for the first time, you know, in forever. Because we've got steady ownership, we've got a four-year commitment to the city. It's brand new arena, and the Golden Center is spectacular. Anybody who hasn't been there, I got a chance to take a trip last year as part of a Christmas present. Um, so good feelings abound. Within days of Luke Walton being hired by the Sacramento Kings, sexual misconduct allegations arise, which is the last thing anybody wanted to happen. And I know it's a situation in those cases where it, it seems to boil down to he said, she said, that he did an investigation which netted absolutely nothing, and Luke Walton is still the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. But from an optics standpoint, that was not a move, particularly given how well Dager did last year, and particularly how well he did with player development, uh, that really, I think, resonated particularly well in a lot of circles. Now, it is Vlade Divac's call. He is comfortable with Luke Walton. They got the sense because they played together one year, believe it or not, when they were with the Lakers, that this is his guy. He wanted to bank with it. Things had all kinds of backstage drama last year between Brandon Williams, between Dave Yeager, that got very public uh, during the court of it. And I think Vlade decided he was going to part company with both. But you're talking in Dave Yeager, a guy that is universally respected around the league, a guy who actually, as you touched on, bumped the Kings up to 39 wins. So there's a lot of pressure on Luke Walton. And the optics weren't great. And there are a lot of people, especially in this day and age, in this culture, we too, and everything else that are going on, that have taken some note of the fact that Luke Walton is on the gun. And Vlad Divac and this organization is under the gun to perform and to make sure that this hire is clean and above board and keeping in the spirit of moving the Sacramento Kings culture, which has been so toxic and negative for the last 13 years forward. So I think Kings fans have taken a very cautious and sometimes vocal approach to the Walt Empire, especially given what happened to Yeager. But again, there was also a lot of backdoor drama with the fact that Dagger was not playing some of the roles in a manner commensurate with what the front office wanted. Uh, a lot of that centers on Marvin Bagley and his lack of minutes and playing time and the development that uh, particularly Brandon Williams, but I, I think the organization as a whole wanted to see from Bagley. So, you know, Lou Walton is, is going to play the young guys. The core nucleus is critical and important to who they were. And I guess I'd tell you, Jacob, the biggest development of last year, the Kings, was the fact that the Kings fans, and I think the organization went into last year, just hoping against all hope that this, this core nucleus of young players that they brought in, that would be, you know, at minimum, pretty good rotational player there, but at maximum and at most optimistic, hopefully, transformational players. And, and the really fun part of that for the Kings was that every one of those guys, to some level or another, kind of over-delivered on expectations or delivered on expectations, which kind of the tempo. So Luke Walton is also stepping into an appearance now uh, of a situation where, man, there's a lot on the upswing and coming out of Los Angeles, which I can't speak to what it's like to coach LeBron James, but I can't imagine that's easy, that, that he's got to perform and he's to deliver. Yeah, so, so I'm glad you touched on the young guys because that's the next direction I wanted to go. Uh, this Kings roster is, is littered with youth, and like you mentioned, a lot of that youth 
really made substantial steps last year to becoming really, really good NBA players, and most notably De'Aaron Fox. Um, We mentioned early on that the Kings are nowhere near the luxury tax. They're just barely over the salary cap. But as it is with young guys, as those rookie contracts start coming to an end, that's when the big contracts roll up. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is looking like he's going to be a max level player in the next couple of years. Uh, They've already paid Harrison Barnes. Marvin Bagley may be headed that direction. But maybe the one that's the most immediate, Buddy Heald is going into the final year of his rookie contract. Uh, Buddy Heald, actually a guy I'm pretty familiar with being here from Oklahoma. Um, And I was looking up his stats before we got on this call, Chris. I, I, I know Buddy's a good shooter, but holy hell, 43% 43% on eight attempts a game last year is like, it's that's like Steph yeah, Curry-esque. He beat yeah. modern Hersey Hawkins. Yes, a very, 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 very good shooter. And his all-around game has improved as well. And, and you touched on it. The the other component of that, and I think the heel gets extended. I, I think that's the general rule because he's not just a great shooter and a wonderful person in the organization, but he's sort of the face of the DeMarcus Cousins trade, which is important for Vlade to win after fact, and it seems like they have done it. But the other yeah. component of this people don't talk about yet is he plays the same position as Bogdan Donovich, who was coming off an amazing World Cup appearance. He just shot 53% from field uh, from three-point range and showed he could get off shot against anyone and showed an amazing shot creation. So Kings are, are dealing with a situation where if you're talking about Dan Fox and you're talking about Mark Bagley is the faces of the franchise moving forward, and I think that's the goal. You're, you're looking at also have to spend money on Buddy Heel and or Bogdan Bogdanovich and, and wondering, you know, and you've already overspent for Harrison Barnes. The good thing for the Kings is a lot of those contracts you talk about, like bringing in Rashawn Holmes and Trevor Ariza's, are basically your guaranteed contracts. So the Kings do hold some flexibility there, but their core money is going to be spoken for pretty quickly for the next four years. So the Kings are going to pay at the end of this year, or hopefully during the course of this year, with an extension for heel, because I, I don't think you can get away from, from, from letting a shoot of his ilk go. But you're going to put a lot of money in the two position over the course of the next year, as well as, you know, De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley. So, yes, the Kings team you see now is the Kings team, you know, that core nucleus is going to be in place for the next eight years. That's the plan. That's the goal. And I think Heald gets done first. But Bogdan won't be far after that. Okay, yeah, that's actually where I was going with that question was, do you think that this young core, I mean, are they going to pony up the cash and and that's going to be the team? And, and so you're subscribed to that idea that that's, this is who they're running forward with? And, and I'll be honest with you, Jeff. There, there were moments, and I know he's had two catastrophic knee surgeries, you know, since high school. There were moments where his passing out of the post, both high and low, was Chris Weber-esque. And we've not seen a forward in Sacramento with that ability in a long time. So they are going to have tough decisions with these young players. But I think they've prioritized it. Everything we've heard is the priority is Fox, then Bagley. But you have that a little further down the road because he's on a rookie deal for two more years. Um, and, and then looking at getting a heel done. And then you open, pray that you make the right decisions and you don't end up like, you know, and you can really attest to this, like Oklahoma City trying to figure out what to do with Abaka versus Harden. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. We are uh, <laughs> a little too familiar with that one. That, that narrative never yes. dies. No, no, you're fine. Um, so that all leads me to the the Kings shipped out some players this summer, let some guys go. Uh, but brought in, like you've kind of mentioned, a lot of depth, a lot of depth, um, starting with Dwayne Dwayne Dedman, probably starting at the center position, Harry Giles backing him. 
Yeah, Probably the most uh, Trevor Ariza coming yes. in, you mentioned, although he's getting up there in age as far as NBA is concerned. Uh, a solid two-way vet who can play off the bench. Uh, Corey Joseph, who is a really solid backup point guard. This team, at least the two-deep, is really impressive. Do you see them this year taking that jump from the fringe on the outside of the playoffs to finally breaking through and getting in? I do, and I see it partially because, as you mentioned, with Dwayne Dedman. Okay, you have De'Aaron Fox as your point guard. Naturally, you're going to want to run some pick and roll. And if you look at it statistically, last year, Willie Cauley-Stein, and look, we Kings fans are a little salty about Willie Cauley-Stein. Not that he's not a wonderful rim runner and did some really nice things and took statistical leap forward last season and what he was able to do. But it's also not the player he was billed to be coming out of Kentucky, where we were told he was the most switchable footer in years, could guard positions. Willie Cauley-Stein wasn't really interested in doing that, and he certainly wasn't interested in rebounding. These are things that Dwayne Dedman does. If you look at Willie Cauley-Stein statistically and metrically, Willie Cauley-Stein was in the 63rd percentile as a pick-and-roll scorer among big men. Dwayne Dedman at Atlanta was in the 83rd percentile. So you would think naturally the Kings get better there, and they get some rim protection, and they get a guy who can shoot threes from outside, who can play stretch five for you, or let Bagley move to the five and play a little stretch four for you. Or you can move Harrison Barnes to the four, which they did repeatedly last year, because Harrison Barnes turned out to be a better defender than anybody in Sacramento realized. So they've got a lot of options, and Dedman makes them better a lot of ways. And I think Rashad Holmes, to some degree, who doesn't get the same amount of run, but is all a magnificent shot blocker and runner gives you some of what you lost from Willie Cauley-Stein. So I think their front court is measurably improved. And that's before you get to Bielitsa, who had a really good season from last year. Uh, as you mentioned, they, they added Leiden, who I, I don't know if he were falls on the rotation because you're starting to run out of minutes in that front court. But you have a lot of options and you have a lot of options there that you didn't have. And you do it without, you know, and, and this set, this was really the moment, the break point for Kings fans. You do it without center trying to imagine he's the second coming of Kristaps Porzingis and wanting to shoot three because that was Willie Cauley-Stein. That's what really alienated Kings fans. We said, hey, I can be more like that guy. Well, you don't shoot it, Trill. And that was sort of the problem for the team last year. For sure. And so I liked how you mentioned bumping Harrison Barnes possibly up to power forward because earlier we talked about, you know, this this almost this log jam at shooting guard with Heald and Bogdanovich. Right. Um, but, I mean, you have these opportunities like Bagley to the five, Harrison Barnes to the four. Uh, you can put Bogdanovich at the three, Heald at the two, Fox at the one. Just offensively, this team is freaking scary for the rest of the league. Like, I know the the old mantra of it's the freaking right. Sacramento Kings, right? And, and you've kind of alluded to that. But offensively, especially, and, and I want to get to this, Darian Fox making that jump from year one to year two if he can continue that trajectory upwards into year three, I mean, you are talking about a deadly, deadly offensive lineup where you can space the floor and let these young guys just have space to drive and kick and shoot. And as opposing teams, there is nobody on this team that you want to leave open to shoot. No, and they they very distinctly went after that. And that's part of having Peja Stojakovic in your front office. I mean, I, I think as, as an assistant and a ear for Vladek, uh, that is something that he's reached ever since he's gotten the elevation and bump within the front office is you need more shooters. And I think that was part of that really magic trade. And, and we it's it's seemingly forgettable now because, and it's really weird, uh, Jay, because 
going into that draft, the trade they made with Phoenix, where Marquise Chris, Chris, who actually a Rancho Cordova, which is a suburb of Sacramento native, would have thought, hey, the Kings are in position to take a local guy, maybe sell seats, pass on him because Vlade had a thing for Papa Giannis, who turned out to be a giant bust. But because Phoenix is not happy with Bogdan Bogdanovich and his unwillingness to come over from Europe on their timeline, they get this wonderful asset who, again, got 53% from three against the best in the world in the World Cup. And it's it's, it's him, it's Buddy Heald. They got, and as you touched on, Trevor Ariza may be running on fumes, but uh, in a 15-minute, 10-minute a roll game, the Kings don't have a lot of ND guys, and he fits that bill if he can somehow recapture that on limited minutes. You touched on Harris Barnes. He was miscast in Dallas. Hard to watch him in the role as an alpha scorer, but as a guy who leads a young organization, a wonderful professional, more than anything, who sets that example, and a guy who can still knock down shots and get you places. You're right. Bielitsa can shoot it from three range. I mean, they don't call him Professor Big Shots for nothing, and and he had a lot of huge shots for the Kings last year. So yes, they can spread the floor, and most importantly, no will calling. Stein in the middle to let De'Aaron Fox get where he wants to go, which would be the biggest metric improvement all for this team. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, so, Chris, before we get out of here, I have two final questions for you. The first one, I want to revisit that over-under. Uh, Westgate has the Kings currently at 37 and a half wins. Uh, that's actually a game and a half less than what they won last year, bumping them down to 10th in the West. We've kind of already touched on this, but would you bet the over or the under on that number, 37 and a half? I, I bet the over on 27 last year and, and did very well for myself. I'm betting the over again this year. I've got them at 46 where I've got them going. Oh, wow. I, I, think they, I, think I, I think they end up 7th West, to be honest with you, because somebody in the West is going to run into an injury issue, and I tend to think it might be Lakers if, if you know, Dennis has his typical injury issue, because I think that Laker team is very heavily constructed on what Andy Davis does. So that's kind of about, I, I've got them 7 in the West this year. Nice, nice. Uh, I like that. I like that because I think it the really Kings, is. like we said, they're right there on the doorstep. I think this is the time. I think they're going to take the step. The only thing that, that kind of sucks about it is it's the freaking Western Conference. And the Western Conference is uh, it's, it's more of a bloodbath this year than I think it's going to be, than it has been in years past. Um, and, and we've seen in the past few years that the the division between like seed number three and number eight in the West is – a difference of like four or five games. And, and so I think we're maybe headed towards something like that again. Uh, Chris, final question. Hit us with three predictions for the King season. You can make them hot takes. You can make them player-centric, whatever you want. But three predictions on what's going to happen in the 2019-2020 campaign for the Sacramento Kings. The first one, and I think I already kind of alluded to it. I've got them in 46 games. I think they make the playoffs as the seventh seed. That would be number one. For me, uh, the number two prediction this season is that Bogdan Bogdanovich carries over that momentum that he had in the World Cup and becomes a Manu Ginoli-type player off bench, a sixth-man guard that everybody wishes that they had, that everybody envies, and gives the King backcourt matchup issues against everybody. And, and I think we've seen the traction for that. Number three, and this will be my hot take, I think we see, in the course of this season, Sacramento awarded and well-deserved for a city that has so faithfully the Kings through thick and then a lot of thin. I think we see Sacramento awarded an all-star game to the course of this year Ooh. in the next four years because that new arena is fantastic. There's now the hotel and the, uh, you know, the, the ability for Sacramento to host an all-star game. It's long overdue for a city that's been faithful to the NBA. It's the only game in town at this point, And I think Sacramento is rewarded for building that palace of an arena. And I can tell you, I've not been in a nicer basketball arena. So those would be my for you, Jacob. 
Nice. I love them. They're, <laughs> I like how you said number three is going to be the hot take when, to be honest, I felt like number one and number two were getting pretty uh, warm. There you go. And I was like, oh, oh, where are we going with number three? No, I like those a lot. Well, hey, Chris, thank you again so much for taking your time to come on with us today. I really appreciate you. Uh, for those of you who do not already, make sure you go follow Chris on Twitter. He's at Chris Dewar. That's C-H-R-I-S-D-U-E-R-R. Uh, Chris, again, thank you so much. We appreciate you. And uh, best of luck to your Kings this season. Thanks, Skip. I appreciate being on. And best of luck to you as well. Thanks. So another huge thank you to Chris for coming on and talking his super interesting Sacramento Kings with us. Uh, it was a great interview. Again, we apologize again for the technical difficulties. I promise you from this point forward, uh, there are hopefully no, no others. <laughs> um, but we felt like that was just great content and wanted to keep it on there for you guys to be able to listen to. So up next, we have John English of Jedi and Germs to preview the Utah Jazz. But before that, a word from one of our sponsors. So I don't know about you guys, but if you watched the... Oklahoma Sooners football game this past Saturday. You probably saw Jalen Hurts walk into the game in a really, really nice suit. He looked great. He was fitted. He obviously went to a really great, great suit-fitting company that really got him hooked up, and I thought he was looking awesome, uh, both on and off the field. Maybe he used Indochino. I don't know. Uh, But Indochino was found on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand that makes suits, shirts, coats and more and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit the best part is they are affordable almost all their custom clothing is under $400 and the process is simple you choose your fabric pick your pick your customizations and submit your measurements your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks you can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE, for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. It's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that, that doesn't fit. Hear that, Jalen Hurts? Go to Indochino. So up next, we have, like I said, we have John English covering the Utah Jazz. And so without further ado, here we go. Okay, and we're back. Now we are joined by John English. He is the co-host of the Jedi and Germs podcast. He is joining us to talk about the Utah Jazz. You can find their podcast on all major podcast platforms, and they are on Twitter at Jedi and Germs. Both of those words start with J's. Uh, John, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. Awesome. Hey, we really appreciate you jumping on to talk some Utah Jazz with us, uh, who is a really interesting team heading into the 2019-2020 season. Um, so let's just let's get right started with this thing. Last year, the Jazz end the season 50-32, and 32, which is good for fifth in the West, uh, and got you guys another date with the Houston Rockets in the playoffs. Uh, two years ago, you guys played Houston the second round after knocking out Oklahoma City. This year, the first round, uh, and seemed like it was it was kind of just a continuation of the year before uh, Houston's firepower uh, allowed them to win that series. But then going into the summer, Utah has kind of a, a pretty significant shakeup of the roster. Uh, players going out, Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, Tabo Cephalosha, Ricky Rubio, Raul Nato, and Derek Favors. Are there any other major players that left the franchise that I'm missing there? Epke Udo was also on there. Yeah, they, they turned over half the roster. 
Uh, Alec Burks was a midseason trade. So two years ago, they finished in the second round, and they say, well, let's run it all back. We have a good team. They ran it all back. They got the same result. They lose to the Rockets. And at that point, they're like, we just can't. We've got to make some significant changes if we want to be any better. Yeah. So, yes, like you mentioned, like half the roster gone over the summer. Uh, Coming in, some pretty big names. Mike Conley, Jeff Green, Ed Davis, Emmanuel Moutier, and Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh, Those were like kind of the main ones I put down. But are there any other players that came in uh, that you think will play a role on this team? No, everybody else is going to be... 12th, 13th, 14th guys on the bench. So those For are the sure. big ones. So um, some some pretty major upgrades. Uh, I know I, w- I was pretty surprised when the Bogdanovich signing happened on the opening day of free agency. Uh, is that something that you guys were expecting? Uh, I know there was some rumors of Nikola Miritich maybe, uh, but he had made the decision to go back to Spain. So was was Bogdanovich even on U- Utah Jazz fans' radar heading into the summer? No, uh, the fans had no idea. The fans were all expecting a move for Miritich and maybe, uh, what's his name, Jellica from the Kings, something like that. They were looking for some kind of thing like that. But Bogdanovich was a much more talented than what we thought we were going to get. And... It was a surprise. It was a pleasant surprise. A lot of Jazz fans were like, well, hey, let me look up his career stats. I know he was really good in Indiana, but he's exactly the kind of like third or fourth star that you want on your team if you're going to get anywhere. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, that was a surprising one. Uh, some movements on June 30th ended up making that happen. Uh, and then obviously the biggest one, the the Mike Conley trade, which seems like a lot of people thought it was right at the doorstep of getting done at the February trade deadline. Uh, those talks pause and then resume during the summer, and that trade goes down, uh, what, a day before draft day, I believe. Yeah. Um, my, my understanding is that there were different pieces that Memphis wanted in February that they just couldn't quite come together. I think they thought Memphis was asking for one player too many. The summer they came together, the pieces changed a little bit. They're able to get them, and now the Jazz find themselves with this two-year window. They have two years with this unit to make some splashes. Conley has two years left on his deal. Gobert has two years left on his deal. Mitchell should be getting his max salary in two years, and I'm sure it'll be a max. And most of the roster, there's only two or three guys who are signed for any longer than that. So this is their window, and this is their time to make their splash. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll talk about that more in just a second. Um, in, as far as injuries are concerned going into next season, uh, I believe the only Jasmine that has any injury heading into training camp would be Dante Exum. Is that correct? Um, well, yeah, he, he's had a lot of injuries over his career. They're being very, very careful with him. They still believe in him. He's an eternal question mark every year. The potential is still there, still something they believe in. That's why they signed him to his three-year deal. Last year was kind of a lost year. This feels like the make-or-break year for him. And if he gets injured again, then I think they'll just kind of be like, well, we, we did everything we could. But hopefully this year he stays healthy and he finally finally, finally lives up to his potential. Yeah, I know that a lot of people were really high on him whenever he came into the draft. Uh, the the Utah Jazz organization, Jazz fans, uh, thought highly of him, this kind of long, lengthy, almost 
the build of a wing, but a point guard. But yeah, like you mentioned, just injuries have kind of derailed that guy for a long time to where I was kind of surprised the Jazz offered the contract they did to him. Um, and then, you know, the hope was uh, offer that contract and then hope he can exceed it based off of his potential. Uh, but then again, just more and more injuries. So uh, I agree with you. I, ho- I hope he ends up uh, healthy and able to contribute because I do think he's a really solid player and uh, he's a really interesting player as well. Uh, no coaching changes for the Jazz. And heading into the season, they are. Uh, this actually kind of surprised me. They're only $8 million over the cap, $15 million below the luxury tax. Um, with that massive Bogdanovich contract with Mike Conley, um, with Rudy Gobert, I thought that that number would be a lot higher. Uh, I was kind of surprised it wasn't. But like you mentioned, um, the the max contract for Donovan Mitchell is definitely on its way. There is no way. I don't think that he gets anything less than a max. Uh, but but those numbers kind of surprised me. I, I figured they had more money committed to the books this season than they actually do. And then uh, lastly, their projections going into this season Westgate has them at 54 and a half wins, which would put them in a three-way tie for first in the West, uh, I believe, with Houston and the Clippers or the Lakers, one of the two. So some pretty high expectations coming out of Westgate for Utah. So, John, I guess the the first real big question I want to ask you about this team going in this year, uh, back to all that movement, back to the new players that, that are on the roster now, how do you see... All these, all these changes and these movements uh, kind of fitting in? And do you believe uh, kind of, I guess, the, the national narrative right now that the Utah Jazz have as good of a shot as anybody at the Western Conference Finals? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when you look at the different sites who've done their player rankings, uh, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, and so far, they have five Jazz guys in the top 65 in both of them. And when you look at all the other teams, uh, I don't think any other team has the best starting five. Other teams have a better big two or big three, but best five, I think I think it's the Jazz. And they think the, the pieces that they have are going to be able to complement and help out the weaknesses of the players they already have. Um, Gobert's going to get more spacing, so he'll... he'll be able to have more offensive opportunities. Uh, Mitchell's going to have guys who can shoot on the perimeter, so he doesn't feel like he has to do it all himself. Conley's an excellent distributor. Um, he's a solid defender. And the thing with Rubio that they've had the last couple of years, I, Rubio, his defense is pretty good, but I'd actually say Conley and Rubio's defense is comparable. But Conley is a much better shooter, and he's a really good decision maker. Rubio had a lot of turnovers last year that I I think was kind of like, that's why they felt like they needed to move on from him. So, and then Bogdanovich, you know, he can, he can shoot from anywhere. He has a big enough body that they could have him and Ingles in the starting lineup. Both played small forward last year, but they're both six, eight and kind of beefy guys. And so either one of them could really play the four. There's been a theory that maybe they'll start someone like Jeff Green at the four so that Ingles or, yeah, so Ingles could come off the bench. I'm leaning more towards I think that's going to be your starting five is is Conley, Mitchell, Bogdanovich, Ingles, and Gobert. Yeah, and and something else besides the fact that everyone besides Gobert in that starting five can shoot, I also think everybody in that starting five besides Gobert can 
handle the ball, can put it on the floor, can run a little side pick and roll, um, which which makes that team offensively, I think, even more dangerous, right? Because yeah. there's just there's so much versatility within that starting five. You kind of mentioned, you know, the the only starting five in the league that I think is comparable to the Jazz would probably be the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, and and j- just the, the offensive firepower of, of that team, that starting five is, is scary, to be, to be frank. If you're not a Jazz fan, it's, it's a scary starting five to go up against. There's size, there's some athleticism, there's rim protection, there's defensive capability, there's shooting, there's ball handling. You, you guys kind of have everything all put together. Yeah, this this is the most positive the fan base has felt about this team in a long time. Like we actually have a legitimate chance. I know there's probably six teams in the West that feel like they have a legitimate chance at winning it this year, um, but Jazz are one of them. And, yeah, and we're. It's great to be at this point in the league where you go into the season thinking there's only two or three teams who have a chance. And this year, I think this is gonna be one of the most fun years for the NBA in general because because it's wide open. Yeah, exactly. You don't have that that overall looming threat of the Warriors and just the the idea on night one that we already know the NBA champion. So uh, I definitely think the Jazz have have a great opportunity this season. So you mentioned, and I guess I hadn't really realized this. You mentioned that there's barely anybody on this roster that is on the books for past two years from now. I know some of the players like Mike Conley are a little bit up there in age. But then you have other guys who are like in the early or um, mid parts of their prime. Do you think that this is a two-year window and after this the Jazz look to to move on and change things up? Obviously, Donovan Mitchell is, you know, hope to be in the long-term plans of this team. But besides that, you mentioned Rudy Gobert, uh, Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, all these guys. Do you see... The, the the overall core of this team staying together past the next two years, or or do you really think it's a two-year window? No, I, th- I think the core will stay together. I think they'll do everything they can to keep Rudy, and Mitch- Mitchell get his max deal, and then you just kind of see where everybody else can fit in after that. They'll see how Conley feels with his age, if they want to extend him, if they want to re- redo his deal so that he- they can give him more years. It there's a lot of question marks that they're going to spend the next two years trying to answer. But I would say long-term they, they do, they are going to want Gobert and Mitchell past these two years, no matter what Bogdanovich is signed for four years. So he'll be there too. So you'll get to the end of your two years. You'll have Mike Conley. He'll be like 34 by then. They'll, they'll see how much more he can contribute. Um, Ingles' age will probably start catching up to them. They see how much more they'll want to. My, my hunch is they'll want to keep Ingles until he retires. He's just a great asset in the community. And then everybody else, you know, it, it's up to them how well they perform. Ed Davis has always been a stellar bench player. Um, they got him for a pretty good deal, so they'll see if they want to keep him and expand his role. You know, there, there's a lot of guys who are auditioning, and so... In the NBA, it feels like it's really, really hard to have like a five-year plan anymore because so much changes, and so two years is actually a long time now in the NBA. So, you're, you're telling the guy that covers the team that still had Paul George <laughs> under contract for two years, and now he's in Los Angeles. So, I yeah. totally understand that. Um, so, my next question with 
the the shortness of some of these contracts um, with, like you mentioned, just the the overall firepower of that starting five. Do you see the the current roster construction that the, the the team that is going into training camp next week with Utah? Do you think that that is the team that will end the season in Utah, or do you think they're going to look to maybe try to make some moves throughout the season between now and the February trade deadline? Uh, I don't. I think they only look for moves if they're underperforming. Um, they they do have a tough early schedule, but I think as long as they're going into February and they're in the top four or five in the standings, I think they'll be okay and just deal with what they have. I don't see any glaring weaknesses on the roster except maybe, you know, may, maybe they could use more shooting off the bench. All their they have some really solid shooting at the top. I'm I'm wondering about their bench unit backcourt because you have Moutier who's never been consistent, Exum who knows. Royce O'Neal's been getting better, so there's some there. I think, if anything, they might look at that and wonder if they want to upgrade the guards in the back. Okay, interesting. Um, so, hey, John, two questions before I let you go here. The first one, I want to revisit that over-under over number, which was 54.5 wins, a three-way tie for first in the West. Uh, if you were to bet some money on that over-under, uh, do you think the Jazz get over 54.5 or under 54.5 wins? See, I had them right at 53-54 wins. I have a hard time saying 55 just because of how solid the West is. And you look at you look at how the standings ended last year in the West. Yeah, it's so jumbled so I don't up. know. <laughs> yeah, it's, that, it's a difficult one, man. Oh gosh, I I fifty four and a half. It's a big number. It's a really big number. Yeah, that's that's like the perfect number, really. Because if it was fifty three and a half, I'd go over fifty four and a half. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, you almost just want to push it, right? I mean, obviously yeah. they can't they can't win a half game. But <laughs> um, okay, well, well, let's move on to the last question then, which is. Uh, hit me with three predictions you have for the Jazz this season. They can be hot takes, they can be individual, uh, whatever you want, but three predictions you have for this season for the Utah Jazz. Okay. Uh, I think Rudy does make the all-star team this year. Um, I like that one. What's another one? I'm going to say that for a chunk of the season, Conley's the one who leads the team in scoring. Okay. And my other one is, even if they wind up facing the Rockets in the first round, I don't Again. think they're going to be as worried as they were last year because I think what really killed them against the Rockets was shooting. They just could not hit anything playing against the Rockets, and now they have shooters, and they'll feel more confident about it. Yeah, they have shooters galore now. Uh, that that would be kind of poetic that, you know, Utah's been knocked out of the playoffs the past two years by the Rockets, and so now Utah kind of goes out and gets all their buddies together and, and, and gets the squad <laughs> and then comes back for revenge for the third year. That that would be kind of poetic. Uh, I, I think I would enjoy that. So, hey, John, thanks again so much for joining us today, man. We really appreciate you. Uh, for those of you who do not already, make sure that you go follow uh, John's podcast, Jedi and Germs, on Twitter. They are at Jedi and Germs. Those are both words that start with J's. So make sure you use J's for Jedi and Germs. Um, and then download their podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, they do a great job. And 
like we just mentioned, Utah possibly in the running for a number one seed in the West this year. They're going to be a team that is going to be a force in the NBA that you're going to have to keep up with. And there is no better way to keep up with them than by listening to the Jedi and Germs podcast. John, thanks again, man. We really appreciate you. So another huge thank you to John for coming on and previewing the Jazz, another super interesting and, and fun team to watch this season in the Western Conference. So up next, we have Keith and Ty of the Trailcasters to preview the Portland Trailblazers. But before that, a word from one more of our sponsors. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming. Expensive. There's so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the, right, the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. For the uncontested, next time we do t-shirts or something this season, we're definitely going to be using ShipStation. ShipStation helps you get out, get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation helps bring all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone, which is really nice in this day and age. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You always know that you're getting the best best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, the uncontested listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the offer code BLUE. It's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. Now here is Keith and Ty of the Trailcasters to preview the Portland Trailblazers. All right, we're back. This is Jacob, and I am joined now by Keith Feltner-Smith and Ty Delbridge. They are the co-hosts of the Trailcasters podcast and covering Portland for Hoops Habit. Uh, they obviously cover the Portland Trailblazers. Keith, Ty, thank you guys so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you. Thank you, thank man. You. Thanks for yeah. having us on. Yeah. So you can find these guys. Um, their podcast is at Trailcasters on Twitter. Um, if you've listened to the Uncontested uh, at all over the past year you've probably heard us talk about the trailcasters we've done some cross promotion stuff with them before we actually did a playoff preview series with them back in right. i guess that was april uh when i was feeling way more confident about basketball um but <laughs> but thank you guys so much for joining us uh you can find their podcast the trailcasters really on any podcast platform uh, and guys, let's just uh, let's jump right into the Portland Trailblazers, which for me is a, a really fascinating team this year. So we already kind of touched on it, but last season they end the year fifty-three and twenty-nine, good for third in the West. Uh, first round they beat Oklahoma City in five games. Second round they beat Denver in a seven-game thriller where C.J. McCollum just completely exploded in Game Seven, uh, but go on to lose to the Golden State Warriors in the conference finals. And then the summer hits. And there's actually a lot of turnover in Portland now. I didn't really realize that. I mean, I knew there was some, but I didn't realize the depth of it until I really sat down today and started digging through it. So out the door are Mo Harkless, Myers Leonard, Al Farouk Aminu, Jake Lehman, Seth Curry, Ennis Cantor, and Evan Turner. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> That's half the roster, man. Right. That's a, a lot, lot of experience. people. Yeah. 
Coming back to Portland, you guys have Mario Hazonia, Anthony Tolliver, Hassan Whiteside, Pau Gasol, Kent Bazemore, Moses Brown. Drafted Nasir Little. Then over the summer, the extensions of Dame, CJ, and then picking up the options of Anthony Simons and Zach Collins. Does all that sound correct? Is there anything that I'm like blatantly omitting there? Uh, did you say Rodney Hood? I hear that in there. Oh, yeah, so retained Rodney Hood. I did, actually did not have that in there. That's a good one, though. Yeah, that's, that's a good note, especially because he was a, he came on as a late-season addition for us last year and was obviously a big factor, like you mentioned, in the uh, the Denver series. And uh, But uh, I think I think it's going to be interesting to see what he can do for a full season. But please, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt this wonderful iteration. It was nice hearing all this again. It made me feel good <laughs> about how we'd done. <laughs> so, well, okay, so now let me take you down a peg then there, Keith. Uh, injuries, <laughs> Yosef Nurkic uh, yeah. out for probably at least till the trade deadline it's kind of looking like. Does that sound accurate? I think yeah. that sounds about right. Ty, in February. Uh, yeah, Ty and first. actually, you and I were just we just had our uh, our first show together the other day. Ty is the new co-host with me for Trailcasters this this upcoming season, and uh, we were talking about how the real issue with Nurkic is exactly when is he going to come back? If he can come back before the trade deadline, that completely changes the outlook on Hassan Whiteside, who's kind of been brought in not really as a stopgap, but as his temporary replacement. Would you agree with that, Ty, or, or where am I at? Uh, yeah, I think they brought him in to be his replacement for a while because I or because I don't think they're gonna like use him right away because of his injury. And I mean, I think the timetable they want to bring him back is around All Star break. But I mean, like who knows with them? Like they might hold him out till March. Yeah, so that 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 makes this interesting like conundrum of. Hassan Whiteside is an expiring contract, right? So, mm-hmm. like, do do you trade him and, and try to dump that contract and get something back at the deadline, uh, or do you need to hold on to him because you don't know uh, how long Yosef Nurkic is going to be out? It, it it's the, it's going to be an interesting balancing act coming down the stretch there in February. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, like with Olshay. I don't think he trades Whiteside. I think he'll end up holding on to him just because they're going to be really patient with Nurkic because or because he is 24 and they just re-signed him to like a three-year deal or or, or maybe like it was a four-year deal, but or but now like he has three years left. So I think they're going to be patient with him and not really try to rush him back. Okay, for sure. Uh, no coaching changes on the staff this year. Uh, the salary situation, Portland is currently $12 million over the tax. And projections for next season. Uh, Portland's projections uh, preseason are always pretty low, and they seem to always (laughs) uh, kind of outperform those. But next season, uh, in the bloodbath of the West, projected at 46.5 wins. Uh, So that's about seven wins down from last year, which that would Westgate has them at eighth in the Western Conference. So we kind of already touched on the first thing I want to talk about, which was the Yosef Nurkic injury. So let's jump into kind of what I think might be uh, maybe the biggest question mark for Portland entering the season. And that is the small forward position. Uh, It seems like you guys are loaded. You brought in a lot of bigs this summer. Uh, You guys have a lot of guards as far as like, obviously your two all-stars, Kent Bazemore. Uh, Everybody is talking about Anthony Simons now and how he could have a breakout year. But that three spot j- just seems a little bit up in the air. What do you guys see from that? Who's going to start there? Uh, who may develop and, and end up getting playing time there? And do you think that's a spot where Portland might look to upgrade via trade? 
Well, this is actually something, again, uh, kind of one of the key points that Ty and I were debating the other day, and I think he and I, and he, sorry, he and I are on separate sides of this issue. Uh, the common kind of uh, perception, I think, up here in Portland is that Hood, when he was brought back, was kind of given that starting small forward spot as part of the arrangement. He, he ended up taking a lot less money than he could have earned uh, as far as uh, on the open market, so I think that was kind of maybe the idea is that that could have been some seasoning to get him here. The other uh, school of thought has been that Bazemore, with his defensive abilities and after losing Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu, who were two real defensive stalwarts for the Blazers the last couple of years, that Bazemore is a little more of maybe the defensive fit in the starting lineup and Hood would be more someone that we could uh, bring off the bench next to Anthony Simons uh, to really kind of uh, solidify that firepower there. But Ty, I know you were saying more that you think... You, you were in that first school that we talked about uh, as far as Hood being the starter. That's why they brought him back. It's something he's kind of earned by taking less money. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, or yeah, cause, uh, because like he, I think he took like $6.4 million or something like that, and he easily could have got like way more than that from somewhere else. So I think they promised him the starting role, and then I think with Bazemore, because he is a more defensive player, or that they'll try and have him play with Simon just because he still is so young and he's still kind of thin that or that or like he might have a rough time like trying to defend like guards right now like or like these starting level guards right so I or yeah so I think they'll put Bazemore off the bench and also with Terry Stotts it's about trust with him and I think he trusts Hood more than Bazemore at this point and that has been a long running thing with Stotts is he definitely has a he tends to make players earn their spot and then there's not a whole lot of switching around he tends to kind of go with uh if if like let's say uh if zach collins is going to play next to Whiteside, you're not going to see him play a whole lot next to Pau Gasol. yeah so so that was actually my next question was moving from the three right on up to the four uh-huh. is is it projected that zach collins is going to start at power forward because to me he's always kind of been the the prototypical uh, modern nba center who who can screen and can roll and can pop out and shoot a little bit um, but is he going to play more for this year? Do you guys think? I think so because, or because they just don't really have anybody else to really play for right now at this point. And I think they wouldn't have gotten rid of Aminu or, or like let him walk so easily, or so like, or so like if they didn't think Collins was going to be ready right away. Right. It, it definitely by letting Amino walk, by letting that happen, they knew this was going to be the gap. And I do think that Collins, they want him to have those minutes. They want him to be ready to kind of suck that up. And we do have Anthony Tolliver, a very seasoned vet, uh, who can kind of play some stretch four behind him if if we really are needing to soak that up there. I think in general though, Zach wants to play more five. He has said that pretty vocally in interviews in the past that he sees himself more as a center going forward. But like we were saying about Anthony Simons, he's still too young he's too skinny he's just he just doesn't have the body to compete with a lot of nba level centers at this point yeah yeah uh that was one thing i think that i kind of noticed in the portland thunder series last year and maybe stephen adams is not a good guy to compare him to because stephen adams is kind of notoriously like the strongest guy in the nba so Mm. like adams blocking out zach collins just looked like a a blob absorbing a much smaller blob. He manhandled <laughs> you know? it, definitely. But, sure. uh, but yeah, so I can see that. Uh, you guys have mentioned Anthony Simons uh, quite a bit. Obviously, he had a great showing at Summer League. 
didn't really play much at all his rookie season. That that seems like it's kind of a trend up there in Portland that they really spend a player's rookie season just kind of getting them used to being in the NBA and the travel schedule and all that kind of stuff. What are your expectations for Anthony Simons this coming year? Because he seems like he's kind of becoming this like low-key, he's so underrated, he's becoming overrated type of guy. Like there's there's a lot of talk about him right now. So, so just kind of give me your, your thoughts on Anthony Simons and, and what you think his role is going to be for the team. Um, yeah, I'm with you on there a little bit, uh, like with the hype. I, or So I think it might have got like a little too big for him. I think there's a lot of people like expecting him to come out and then like maybe compete for six man of the year, which is not going to be the case. Uh, so last year with that Kings game, he did score 37 and have nine assists, but he struggled defending those Kings guards in the first half. So I think that's going to be a problem for him this year is defense. But with Terry Stotts this year, I think they're going to try like right away and like, and maybe I was about 15 minutes a game, like right away. Yeah. I, okay. I, I think 15 honestly might even be a little on the conservative. Well, maybe not too conservative, but I think it's, it's pretty similar to what I was saying about Zach Collins a minute ago. They are the Trailblazers are absolutely planning on these guys taking on a big chunk. They they want to kind of throw them in and see how they swim both for Ant and for Zach. Uh, I do think the the Sacramento game was impressive, playing all forty eight minutes and putting up the line that he did. And you know you can also say that by playing forty eight minutes, how good is the defense really going to be for a young player? But the other side of that coin is that that is still one game. It was an impressive game, but it was one game. He didn't do much else all season, so. It definitely, I, I think the X factor probably, I don't know, Ty, let me actually throw this to you since I didn't ask you the other day. Would you see Zach or Ant as more of the X factor as far as their performance and really making this work? I think Zach is more important right now for the Blazers. Just success. being the starting four. Yeah, he's just needed a little bit more, especially with Nurkic out. Nice. So uh, another young guy I wanted to bring up, um, Nasir Little. He He's somebody that was projected pretty high, a uh, lottery pick actually, early on, uh, not even early on in the draft process, actually like up to freaking draft day, he's projected yeah, as a lottery right. pick and just plummets down boards and ends up being selected uh, late in the first round by Portland. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on Nasir? Do you think there's any chance at all he gets playing time this year? He does kind of seem like that, at, at least the body frame and the length, that prototypical like new wave three slash four can play both forward positions. Uh, that that kind of seems to be lacking on this roster right now. Um, so, do you guys think he gets any burn this year, uh, as far as like actual rotation minutes, not just you know mop up time? Mm, I would say no, just because Terry Stotts doesn't really play rookies. But yeah, like I mean, like with them, like they are lacking guys built like him. So, like or like they might try and like throw him in garbage time minutes or just some weird like five minute stretches during games. I mean, just to kind of see what he has, but I doubt he sees like consistent playing time early on. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that as well. I don't think that uh, our own, you know, little Nas X or not X, but our own little Nas up here. I don't think he's going to be seeing too much of a game time this year, but I do think, uh, like you said, Jacob, that he, uh, he's got a, He's a prototype. He's a form that we don't have on this roster right now. And we haven't really seen someone like him 
since, let's say, I mean, I want to hope that he's like a J.J. Hickson type or more, even better, more like a Kenneth Freed, even though he didn't play for Portland. Uh, but that kind of real athletic power forward that kind of does attack the rim kind of really changes up what Portland can do with its, uh, with its system. The criticisms I've heard as far as why he may have slipped so far in the draft from a possibly top five pick all the way down to a t- uh, 25 where Blazers got him at, there, I guess, has been some question about game IQ. But again, I think some of this could be a sample size where he didn't really necessarily have the the role in in college ball to really kind of show off what he could do. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. And I've always thought that's interesting is the the position that a guy is put in in college may be very different than the position he's put in in the NBA. And that, that change, I mean, Thunder fans, we saw this very much with Hamadou Diallo who crazy freak athlete, but played on a very cramped court in Kentucky. And then when you get in the NBA where the, the, the floor is much more spaced and there's more cutting lanes and angles and, and open floor to work with. He, he was, he honestly looked like a different player. So I definitely get that. Um, all right. So in order for the Blazers to get back to the Western conference finals, do you think that they have the team needed as constructed right now, of course, with Yosef Nurkic coming back? Uh, or do you think that between now and February, there are going to be some trades made to change up some of that rotation to try to get them over the hump? This is a tough one. Ty, do you want to go first? You want me to you, take this? How you, you go feel? first. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think this roster is going to be sneaky good, honestly. I, I think... Uh, even, you know, Whiteside, there's been such a divide among Portland fans about whether this is, like we said, just kind of a stopgap filling in for Nurkic until he's healthy, or if this is someone who, if he performs well. And, there, I, you know, Ty and I, again, were talking about this the other day, and we were kind of theorizing that there's not a lot of scenarios where he gets traded away before the end of the season because even if Nurk comes back healthy, let's say around All-Star break or more towards the trade deadline, he's not going to be 100%. And you don't want to put him in over his head right off the bat if we are actually hoping to make a good playoff run. So I don't really see a reason that we wouldn't have both Whiteside and Nurk and the, the strength they have there between those two. The, the level of players those are, I think, is a little hidden because I think a lot of people discount Whiteside due to maybe his kind of personality issues and some of the roster issues they had down in Miami. But we've seen a lot of players come to Portland and turn their career around or make you know significant jumps in their in their performance. So I, I wouldn't be too surprised to see that with Whiteside, uh, with Bazemore, and, you know, at the same time, you mentioned uh, would I expect to trade uh, later on in the season. Looking at what Blazers have done before, yes. I, I do think they, at some point, could kind of try to uh, put some of these pieces together into maybe one more uh, higher-tier star player. But at the same time, that was easy to do before when we had a, a number of expiring contracts and kind of the large contracts. Now, the only one we would really have would be Whiteside as an expiring contract value. And I don't know if uh, if we're going to be in a spot to get, uh, to give that up. But Ty, what do you think? Uh, are we both kind of agreeing that Blazer, Blazers could be one of the, the sneaky good teams in the West? Yeah, I think this roster is talented. I think with Damon CJ, they can lead this team as far as it wants to get to. I think they have more guys that fit better around him this year with Hood, Baysmore, like and then like with and then yeah, like with it. like Hazonia as well. Yeah, it was but uh, Man, I used to be so, so high on Mario Hazonia. I'm interested to see if he can turn his career around because I thought that guy was gonna be like legitimately good in the league and I've been so let down for so many years now. Well, right. but look where he's I'm played though. Yeah. Look where he's played. Orlando and New York. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean here, some... I mean, like, here, like, with Terry Stotts, like, I mean, and then, like, this system, like, I think he might thrive 
And then, like, yeah. last year, remember Nick Stauskas had that first game where he scored, like, 30 points against the Lakers? I guarantee that we'll have a couple of those games from him this year where he yeah. just, like, goes out and then balls out. Hey, if we can get another Hazonia block on LeBron for the game, um, <laughs> oh. Rip City uh, he, fans he, would go wild. He's worth every cent of that contract. Let me add this about Hazonia, too. Uh, I found out this summer that he and Nurkic have a previous relationship. Apparently, Nurkic is, like, best friends with Hazonia's dad or something like that. Uh, but they used to be, uh, I guess when they played together over in Croatian uh, basketball, I'm, I apologize because I don't really know any of the, the terms or the league names, but they played together over there and they had, uh, I don't know if they were roommates or next door or what, but they have a, a good friendship and there's a lot of swagger from each of them. So I can't wait to see what happens when we get Nurk and Hazonia on the court late in the season. I think there could be some really fun shows. Nice. That's awesome. Well, hey guys, I have two more questions before I let you go here. Uh, the first one, so both of these are for, for both of you, right? The first one is uh, revisiting that over-under number. Westgate has the Portland Trailblazers at 46.5 wins, good for eighth in the West. Um, if you guys had to bet on that number, then uh, what are you going with, over or under? I will bet on it, and I will bet the over <laughs> because they always just tend to hit it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I will bet on it. Ty and I are, are betting guys up here and so happy about the sports betting, the way that's kind of being rolled into the NBA and everything. Uh, but yeah, I, I would take the over. I feel like uh, I'm pretty sure it was Jason Quick, one of the journalists up here, that pointed out five of the last six years the Blazers have gone over the, uh, over the line. So it's a pretty safe bet at this point. Yeah, very nice. All right, last question. Uh, each of you, I want three predictions for the Blazers this season. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be hot takes, but hot takes are always more fun. Uh, they could be individual player uh, predictions, uh, whatever you want them to be, but three predictions pertaining to the Blazers this season. I think they will finish top four in the West. I think Damian Lillard finishes on the MVP ballot. And... Um, and I think C.J. McCollum will make the all-star team. Oh, you took Ooh. mine. That was going to be my hot take. You took that. <laughs> stole, it. <laughs> stole it right off. Yeah, yeah so C.J. in the all-star game, uh, I mean, C.J.'s good. Like, he's freaking good. But, dude, the West is just – there's Blood so much up. talent just littered throughout all of the West. It's just insane. Yeah. Well, look, man, uh, wasn't it ESPN or, or Sports Illustrated that just ranked their top 100 players and C.J. came in 13th? Yeah, yeah. I think that was ESPN. I just saw that, yeah. yep. Yeah, so I mean, he, he didn't have a good time. let or, or or so last year, like yeah. uh, like he had like not a really good year. So yeah. I think he's gonna come out hot and trying to like really step up his play this year. And to be honest, even his kind of like down regular season last year wasn't bad at all. No, not at but, all. Uh, but yeah, I think that he is gonna have a bit of a chip on his shoulder more so than usual. And with Clay Thompson missing for a lot of the season, uh, if we have any sort of other injuries or even just the fact you mentioned how loaded the West is with talent that could be something that keeps people from standing out quite as much uh and you know if CJ does kind of come in with a chip on his shoulder and he is maybe looking to hold up to that 13th uh place ranking I wouldn't be too surprised if he at least has some all-star hype around him and is getting some talk nice all right uh, so so Keith what are your three right right okay yeah so (laughs) um what did I have here I think Hazonia is going to be a starting small forward at some point this season. I'll take that as kind of the secondary hot take. Ooh, okay, I like that. Sizzling. Uh, I think that we are I, – I think it's uh, going to be surprising, but I don't think Whiteside is leaving Portland till uh, till the offseason. Uh, and, I, you know, Ty and I, again, we talked the other day about I think uh, 
it would be the, the fantasy would be if we could get Whiteside to do kind of what Hood did, where as the expiring deal, he just falls in love with Portland and wants to stay here for less money. But I, I'm not counting on that one. Um, let's see. That's uh, but yeah, I I think Whiteside is sticking around until the end, and I think uh, I think Blazers are going to get at least to the uh, to the semis again. I guess that would be a prediction for me. I don't, I don't think they're going to fall short, despite how thick the West is going to be. I think we're going to see some consistency from them and. You know, obviously a bit of bias here, but I'm I'm leaning towards the finals. We'll see how it goes. Oh, nice, nice. That one. Uh, oh, wow. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, hey, uh, I mean, there was a lot of success last year to build off of. Um, don't be upset with me, but I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit jaded that that Dame waved bye bye to the Thunder, oh, and uh, yeah. and then my entire team just fell apart. And how did we not talk about that? I we, I didn't yeah. want to bring it up, but yeah, yeah just two nice uh, of guys. I yeah, guess. we we didn't talk about it because you guys <laughs> didn't want me to have to double up on antidepressants or medication or something, <laughs> you know. Um, so all right, well, guys, hey, thank you so much for coming on again for our listeners. Um, go follow Keith and Ty. Their podcast is at Trailcasters. They're awesome dudes. They do great work for for the Portland Trailblazers. Um, a really fun podcast. You can find it really on any podcast platform out there. So go give them a listen, download their pod, follow them on Twitter. They're a great Twitter follow as well. And gentlemen, again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. And uh, I hope the Portland Trailblazers season goes well, and I'm excited to uh, to kind of follow along. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, we really appreciate you having us on here. Uh, Ty and I, we like we were saying earlier, we just hooked up. We've just started uh, kind of the, the next generation for Trailcasters, and it's really nice to kind of get out here and and, uh, and and you know share some stories and share some thoughts with the team. But we definitely would love to get you back on to the show, uh, maybe after a, a Blazers and Thunder matchup. So hopefully, yep. we'll talk to you soon. Hey, it'll it'll probably be a loss for me, but I'll come on and talk. I'll come <laughs> on and talk. Us. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys so much, and uh, and enjoy the rest of your week, guys. Thanks, man. See ya. So another huge thank you to the guys over at the Trollcasters for coming on and previewing the Portland Trailblazers with us. To round this one out, we have up next Brendan Vote of DNVR.com to talk about the Denver Nuggets. So here we go. All right, guys, we're back. Uh, this is Jacob. I got Justin with me. And we are excited to now have on uh, to preview the Denver Nuggets. Uh, our friend Brendan Vote. he is from the DNVR.com. Uh, he obviously covers the Nuggets, and you can find him on Twitter at bvogt442, and then uh, the the site that he writes for and he podcasts for and everything at dnvr. So basically, Denver without the vowels underscore Nuggets. Uh, Brendan, thank you so much for joining us today, dude. We really appreciate you. Oh, thanks for having me on, guys. Looking forward to it. And uh, vowels are out in 2019. Yeah, so hey, we're hitting I mean, no more vowels. In. I'm yep. down. Efficiency, yeah. bro. Efficiency. Exactly. That's what we're looking for. Uh, so, Brennan, let's just jump right into this bad boy. Uh, Denver was an incredibly fascinating team last season. They go from, um, you know, just being on the outside in on the playoffs, actually on the last day of the regular season, two seasons ago, to this past year, uh, being a quarter away from the Western Conference Finals. Right. Uh, they end the 2018-19 season 54-28. and 28. That was good for second in the West. Uh, and went a full seven games in the semis with the Portland Trailblazers, unfortunately. So I actually recorded the Trailblazers uh, interview about three hours ago. Hmm. And uh, so they were all happy about C.J. McCollum's incredible Game 7, and I'm sure <laughs> your perspective is completely different on that. That's right. That's right. Uh, C.J.'s <laughs> a killer, man. Everyone told us to fear Damian Lillard, but it was it was C.J. that drove not one, not two, but 
maybe five daggers in the hearts of Nuggets fans. Yeah, man, that fourth quarter of that game seven was insane. Just the back and forth, and uh, it was it was a hell of a game. It was a hell of a series. You know, um, it's it's funny. People will the Denver Nuggets defense, specifically their pick and roll defense, was much maligned with Jokic obviously as the anchor there. But it, it wasn't any anything special that Stotts and Portland were doing to win that series. CJ went one-on-one, and he was better. No one could guard him. But it, it's just funny. You, there's so much goes into the regular season, and these are the brightest basketball minds in the world. And then you get down to these these narrow margins, the late rounds of the playoffs, and it's just about who's better, who, 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 yeah. who, who could put the ball in the hoop. So credit to CJ, man. Uh, it was a fun series. and yeah, that's why they say stars win series, right? Yeah, exactly. The guy that can just take the ball and do something with it. Exactly. Uh, so the, over the summer, actually Denver has had maybe the least amount of movement in the league. So I've done a lot of these these uh, previews, season previews for tons of different teams across the league. And I maybe wrote the least amount about Denver's summer mm-hmm. just because you guys just kind of are running it back. So drafted Bull Bull. Uh, was projected probably a top 20 pick ended up going was it 46 somewhere around there yeah yeah I think it was yeah 44 46 to Miami I can't remember okay yeah so projected top 20 falls way 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 down um, goes to Denver coming in you guys have <laughs> my first name here this makes me sad Jeremy Grant uh, PJ Dozier uh, I don't know if you know this but another former Thunder player Tyler Zeller and I said coming in kind of Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Uh, he's not a new addition, but he's he hasn't played basketball in Denver yet. So uh, heading out the door, Isaiah Thomas, Trey Lyles, Tyler Lydon, and that's it. Yeah, it's uh, if you look at the continuity rankings with John Schumann releases on on Twitter every year, Denver only lost about two hundred and forty ish total minutes from their rotation. Wow, and that's represented in Isaiah Thomas, Tyler Lydon. Um, these were not rotation pieces. So in a year where over half the league changed jerseys in the summer, Denver literally is running it back with the, essentially the exception of adding a player in Grant and maybe getting Porter healthy. So continuity was a big part of their hot start last season. So if you were to make an optimist case for Denver having a hot regular season, uh, it rests on continuity. They have pushed their chips all in. They do not skip steps, as president of basketball operations Tim Connolly likes to say. So their continuity is, is the buzzword around Denver, and they're hoping it carries them far this year. Yeah, well, it did a good job last year, and with all the youth on that team, it, it makes sense. Uh, only injuries to report, Michael Porter Jr., uh, probable to start the season. Uh, we should be seeing him play uh, sooner rather than later. No you know, coaching you changes. That, you say <laughs> Fingers <laughs> crossed, man. I exactly. mean, I think from everything we heard over the summer, like especially heading into summer league, was that Denver's front office is incredibly high on Michael Porter Jr. So it was uh, it's kind of a letdown that was it a tweaked ankle that kept him out of summer league? Yeah, tweaked ankle, maybe a knee. It was during a scrimmage. I mean, just two nights before Vegas started. So blindside for us after we had all bought our tickets. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Denver's only about two million dollars over the luxury tax line going into the season, and their projections for next season via Westgate fifty two and a half wins, which would be good for fourth in the West. So, Brendan, the first question I want to ask you about Denver this year, and, and it's kind of a, a loaded question because we are obviously a Thunder podcast, but the addition of Jeremy Grant, 
Um, how how do you guys in Denver feel about adding him? I'm assuming he's coming off the bench behind Paul Millsap. Uh, how much do you know about Grant? What do you think he adds to this roster that you said is kind of already solidified? Yeah, well, I'm glad I'm talking with you guys because I will have some questions, but I can tell you that <laughs> yeah. everyone's excited. He is probably going to back up Paul Millsap, uh, who who was excellent with the Nuggets last year. Yeah, he's he's decl- you know he's getting up there in age. He's not putting as many shots up or scoring as much, but he's having as much an impact on winning as he ever had. They'll still start him, but we might be in the load management phase of Millsap's career. Um, why play him in Atlanta on a back to back when you got a guy like Grant, who in theory should slide right in? You know, you guys know more about the defensive ability than me. He, he's great in the dunker spot, which Jokic just loves. You know, Kenneth Free did really well in that regard alongside him, but he's a much better spot-up shooter than people think. Uh, so, in theory, this guy should fit right in, and Tim Connolly has a relationship with him going back to his Washington days. I think he knows his uncle, personally, um, and, and everything we hear is that this guy's a Denver Nugget, just wants to play basketball, keep his head down, and, and work hard. So, we couldn't be more stoked. Uh, I guess I'll turn this back on you guys. It sounds like we're getting a heck of a player. Yeah, I think he he was one of my favorite players on the team last year, and I think his his success last season was kind of a surprise a little bit. We saw some of what he could do the prior season, but really, I think we kept asking ourselves, like, is is this shooting sustainable? Is he just kind of on a hot streak? But then he ended the season being one of the Thunder's best three point shooters. He was actually it, last season he was the highest percentage three point shooter on the Thunder roster. So there you go, not even above Paul George, best. above. Yeah. Abdel Nader above Terrence Ferguson. He was the best shooter on the team. So you add that to his his athleticism, which I think is what everybody knows about. And, you know, he's a really great player. I'm excited to watch him in Denver. Uh, I'm sad of the way things transpired in Oklahoma City. But, yeah, you guys are definitely getting a heck of a player. For sure. His Defensively, you kind of mentioned it. Like, he came to Oklahoma City, a very raw athlete that I think they thought they were going to slide into the three. Uh, he ended up in the in the season with Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. He ended up playing backup five, and then last season started at the four. But he can guard. I mean, there were times in games against Houston where I thought Jeremy Grant was maybe the best defender on James Harden. So he's yeah. incredibly versatile out there on the wing. He he can block weak side shots. Uh, he's he's a guy. Like I legitimately think this is the last year of his contract, and I legitimately think if Denver wants to keep him. Uh, I mean, it, it's probably a good thing that Grant will be a free agent in a very lackluster 2020 summer. Right. But he's probably looking at close to $20 million a year. Well, they're looking for a power forward that matches up with their timeline, right? Millsap's the guy for now, but Harris, Murray, Jokic, this is Be- Beasley, Monte, Wancho. We'll see how long any, you know those, those last three stay, if all of them stay. But this is a really young team, and, and Grant matches the timeline better than Millsap. So... A a question I have for you guys, though, and and one we've kicked around in Denver, what are the prospects of of playing Jeremy Grant at the three uh, with Denver, and and how does he fare there as opposed to playing at a four, which is what I see him as naturally? Am Am I correct? I would say so, yeah. I mean, I think he can slide and play spot minutes at the three, but if if you want him to play 10 or 15 minutes a night there, um, I, I just, I, I question some of his lateral quickness. And whenever I said he was maybe the best, one of the best guys that I saw the Thunder throw at James Harden, that was like on a pick and roll switch uh, and preventing Harden from getting to a step back and whatnot. Uh, but the Thunder have experimented with him at the three a lot. And it, I mean, it was decent, but four is his natural spot yeah. by yeah. far. Yeah, I gotcha. 
So what about uh, the other kind of big big question mark heading into the season with guys that, that were added is Bol Bol. What have you heard about him, and what do you expect <laughs> to see out of him this season? Do you think he'll be get minutes, or do you think he'll spend most of his time in the G League? Uh, these are excellent questions. I know almost nothing about Bol Bol, uh, like, like most people do. <laughs> He's an enigmatic cat. Um, really interesting yeah. guy. We did get to talk to him briefly in Denver, but we haven't seen much of him. We haven't heard much about him. I, my understanding is that he has not been cleared for for uh, five on five or contact basketball yet. I'm not sure if that's the case. That's just what I've heard. And you know, guys, he's a rookie, and Denver is on a championship contention timeline right now. So their concern is not necessarily with the development of Bobo. I think he'll spend a lot of time in the G League. But this is a really, really talented guy to have to have kind of stolen that late in the draft with a with a trade that didn't cost them much. So they're gonna feel like Bulbul is potentially the backup center of the future, but that's a long term project. Don't expect him to sure. make an impact this year. Definitely. So another thing that happened over this summer was Jamal Murray's rookie extension, uh, a massive amount of money. So I wanted to touch on that a little bit. What have been your thoughts on Jamal Murray so far? And with this new contract, we know that rookie scale extensions are typically, they're based more off of potential than actual yeah. current production sure. or, or past production. Uh, do you think that Jamal Murray will live up to that maximum rookie extension? And, and what do you kind of expect from him going into next season? It's an interesting question, guys. I With Jamal, first of all, the thinking in in signing him early as opposed to waiting until his contract is up, he was a restricted free agent, so they had that control. Uh, but think back to how Utah handled Gordon Hayward. Um, he was a little disrespected not to get the extension he hoped for up front and that they just waited until he had decided on a scenario that he felt better about, and then they matched the contract. That didn't sit with him the right way. When you're a small market or, or middling market like Utah or Denver who does not have any success in free agency – you have to keep your stars happy. So from that perspective, uh, I know some folks were kind of alarmed by the timing. I didn't really think Denver had much of a choice in terms of offering it when they did. Uh, the number 180, it's obviously the max he could have made, he could make right now. And some could argue had they waited to restricted free agency, they wouldn't have had to pay him this much. But the question with Jamal, guys, is not can he be the best player on the Nuggets, not is he worth 180 in a vacuum. Can he be good enough to be the second best player to a top eight guy in Nikola Jokic? That's what they're paying him to be. And so the money maybe reflects that he's got to be a top 20 guy. I would say maybe it's more like 30, top 25. Um, can he be good enough to help Jokic? I think the answer is yes. You saw flashes of him going head to head with Damian Lillard in that series. And yes, Lillard was tired and, and had faced more double teams and, and what have you. But I thought Jamal at times outplayed him. So the questions for him will be about consistency. If he's averaging 18 to 20 points, what does that look like? Is it 30 one night and, you know, eight the next? Or can they know what they can expect from their starting point guard night to night? The latter is kind of the question that remains to be answered for Jamal. But he's so young. He's, he's still 22. So that's the hard thing to keep in mind when evaluating him. So much presser rests on his young shoulders. So what do you think when you look at Jamal Murray? Is he a guy that's a, a really good player? Or do you think he's a cornerstone of the Nuggets moving forward? He is, in my mind, a tier above really good. How good, I think, we don't know yet. And it will be a consistency thing. You don't drop 48 points on the Boston Celtics at 21, 22. 
if you're not capable of scoring like one of the top 20 guys in the league. Yeah. The, the flashes are just that high. And the other thing with Jamal is I think he has the things you can't teach. He can hit the shots that make you say, wow, the rest of it he can learn as he grows older and develops. So it's possible, guys. But consistency and then improvement on the defensive end, those two things are key for him to kind of reach the territory that Denver's hoping he does. So, Brennan, you touched a little bit earlier on some of the team's depth, uh, especially at the wing and and the guard positions. I mean, Jamal Murray, Monty Morris, mm. Will Barton, Gary Harris, Torrey Craig, uh, Malik Beasley, mm. Michael Porter Jr., Hernan Gomez. I mean, j- just a <laughs> plethora. I mean, you guys could just throw out twos and threes forever. Um, is this the team that you think – ends like the, the the roster we talked about the continuity is this the team that ends the season in denver or do you think oh man if, if they make a push i mean we've talked about on our podcast before that if if anybody has some of the the young players and wings and assets to to throw together an interesting trade package for like a brad beal mm. denver is one of those teams uh do you see them maybe trying to push the chips in the middle or are they just going to ride this bad boy out Well, I can say that you're asking the right questions. I mean, nail on the head. These are the conversations being had by media, by fans out here. They haven't skipped steps. But when you're talking about making that leap from fringe contender to championship contender, things like hearts and soul of the team, continuity, fun, relationship to the city, you start having to make tough decisions and sacrifices. So what am I talking about? Maybe moving on from Gary Harris, the longest tenured nugget along with some other pieces to, to push for Bradley Beal, who I think we all have our eyes on as potentially the next disgruntled star. So it's a really, really tough question. I'm not sure how Tim Connolly will handle it. Um, they, they have dipped their toes in aggressive trade talks before. Uh, if you remember the three-way trade that, that fell through with Indiana, Denver, um, and Cleveland. Yeah. And that was Paul George George to Cleveland, right? And Kevin Love to Denver. That that latter move doesn't quite make a ton of sense for a team that was already good offensively but struggled defensively. But it was a move about getting star power in Denver because that's not something they can do through traditional routes, i.e. free agency. Um, So it's something to keep an eye on. The Brad Beal storyline will be talked about in Denver. To answer that first question briefly, I think the answer is no, this team does not finish... I don't think this will be the same roster at the end of the season. You can't pay everyone. Uh, Malik Beasley, quite frankly, is too good to be a backup forever. I think he could start for over half the teams in the league. He just signed with Clutch. And guys, what's a team with some key Clutch clients that could use some shooting? Um, I think if if Malik ends up in L.A., that would be no surprise to me. So yeah. unfortunately, that this kind of fun, homegrown era may be coming to an end. But that's what happens when you, when you start reaching these uh these tiers of contendership hey you're talking to two of the guys who follow the team that traded james harden so yeah, uh, yeah wow well, <laughs> no kidding Oof. we get it yeah uh, we, what do you, yeah what do you think about the kind of the state of denver in terms of running it back you know the, it was something that we talked about a lot before paul george blew everything up of it, is it okay to run it back in a league where everybody else in the west seemed to get better this offseason how do you feel about that uh, as you look at the Nuggets. You know, I'm comfortable with it uh, as both a media member curious about their their status in the league, but also as a, as a fan, which I will always admit that I am. Um, it, sure, the a lot of the league got better, but is anyone better than Golden State was when they were healthy? I, I think the bar to clear now 
is lower. And so maybe there's more obstacles in your way. But if you're Denver, you go, man, those were that was the playoff debut for our young big trio. Uh, Jokic and Murray looked incredible. Why can't we? Everyone talks about, okay, Giannis is going to get better. Talent is going to better. Why won't Jokic get better? Gary, Jamal. So when you're this young, I think you kind of can um, rely on continuity and improvement. But again, development's not always linear. It's it's quite possible they take a step back. I just look at it as, sure, neither of those LA teams are a great matchup, nor is Houston. Utah could make some noise. But not one of those teams feels as unbeatable as Golden State did. So if you're yeah. a, if you're a team that's as good as Denver, you just have to think this is a window. This is a this is a real title chance. Yeah, I think no, that's I, a great point. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So hey, Brennan, two questions before we let you out of here. The first one is I want to go back and revisit that over under that Westgate has for Denver on the mm. season. Uh, Fifty two and a half wins. It's actually a game and a half below where they ended last year. Uh, and so the fifty two and a half via Westgate would put them at fourth in the West. If you were to bet on that line, would you bet the over or the under? I'm going to take the over. Uh, again, furthest thing from guaranteed, but this is a team that won 54 last year while dealing with a lot of health issues. And some people will look at the way Denver performed in, cl- performed in close games, um, the losing streaks they avoided, and say that's a team that got lucky. Yeah, I, I think I see a team that makes their own luck, guys. Not a lot of things went their way last year. Uh, Gary was in and out of the rotation. They lost Will Barton on night two for over half of the season. Uh, Paul Millsat missed time again. Um, this is a team, and, and frankly, it's a team that didn't have any experience in the postseason or, or chasing a one seed. So I think they weathered adversity quite well. I think the grand addition makes them a game or two better in the regular season. And uh, the key, guys, is continuity. I think everyone else is going to spend the first half figuring out their new deal. Denver knows exactly who they are, exactly what they need to do. So I think they'll win a lot of games right out of the gate. That's a good point. You know, that that everyone else has the feeling out period from the right. opening of the season until Thanksgiving. And, and Denver doesn't have to worry about that. That's that's true. I mean, they they now the, the flip side, though, guys, is that this may be a team that thinks, all right, we don't have to. Last year, we were we wore it on our sleeves. We were chasing the one seed. They won't be chasing a one seed this year. If they have to rest Paul Millsap, they will. If they have to rest Gary or Nikola Jokic, they will. Um, they know that they're either a fringe contender or a real contender. So basketball doesn't start till the postseason for them. I, I think Denver's at that point now. So there's a chance they rest guys, and if that's the case, they'll win less games. Um, but they're deep. They're they're good up top, and and they're they have continuity. So I like Denver's chances. So you, you've hit on a few of kind of your feelings and, and predictions for the season already. But before we go, hit us with three predictions for the Nuggets for this season. Man, just so I can go team, I can go player. Yeah, um, you can take You can make you them want. hot and spicy. You can spicy make them a little taste. bit cold, sure. whatever you want. <laughs> uh, I'll start with MPJ. I think if you look at the national conversation about the Nuggets, for whatever reason, everything is contingent upon his health as if the Nuggets weren't a perfectly capable team without him even stepping on the floor. I don't think the Nuggets are good if MPJ is healthy. I think they're good because they're good. And so I don't know how healthy he'll be. Um, I don't know how much they'll be asking him to do. And I think he's going to have to learn, guys. When he was pl- Last time he really played basketball, it was in high school, and he was the best player in his class of his age group. Now he's going to be 
maybe the fifth, sixth best player on the team, and he, they're asking him to fill a contained role. Is he is he ready? Is he able to do that? So a lot of question marks for him. I I just generally want to pump the brakes on that MPJ hype. Hmm. Um, another prediction. I kind of showed my hand on this one. I could see either Malik Beasley, uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, or maybe even Mason Plumley being moved by the deadline. This team is not going to be able to bring everyone back. They'll have tough decisions to make with Millsap and Grant, and I think Beasley is going to get paid. So a trade could be on the horizon. And uh, finally, guys, I think I will go with a conference finals appearance for the first time in 10 years. I don't think they win the conference finals um, because I don't like their chances against Houston, the Clippers, and I don't care what anyone says about the Lakers' lack of depth. LeBron James and Anthony Davis are on the same basketball team. If, if, yeah. if that doesn't scare you in seven right. games, you know, what short yep. memories we have. So I can't say I like their chances of advancing, but with the right path, if they win enough games, they're definitely good enough to finally turn that corner. And if that's the case, it should be a fun year in Denver, guys. Awesome. I like it. Well, hey, Brendan, we appreciate you for coming on the pod. Uh, for those of you who are listening, make sure you go follow Brendan on Twitter. He is at BVOGT. Four four two. Can I correct then, you really quick? Sorry, it's oh, four. It's four two two. Four two two. Holy shit! I'm sorry. No uh, Four two two. Ignore me. Listen to the guy that actually has his own Twitter <laughs> account. Um, I have the other one right though. I think at dnvr underscore nuggets. Um, that's Denver without the vowels underscore nuggets. Uh, Brendan does an incredible job covering Denver, and this is going to be a team to follow this year, right? Like like we've just talked about. This is a team that can make very easily a Western Conference Finals run. Uh, they are going to be in the thick of it through May and June. So make sure you go follow Brendan. Uh, follow up with the Denver Nuggets. And, Brendan, thank you again so much for coming on. We appreciate you, and I hope the season goes great for you, man. My pleasure, boys. Anytime. Thanks, Brendan. So there we have it. Episode 7 of our season preview series comes to a close. Another huge thank you again to our guest, Chris Dewar, uh, for this, covering the Sacramento Kings. John English of Jedi Dirt and Germs covering the Utah Jazz with us. Uh, Keith and Ty of the Trollcasters covering the Trollblazers. And then finally, Brendan Boat of DNBR covering the Denver Nuggets with us. Like I said, next week we have the Raptors, Warriors, Rockets, and Clippers to round out the end of our season preview uh, series because I have good news, guys. The NBA is back. Starting tomorrow is actually the Thunder Media Day. Also, some more exciting news about that. One of our own, Nick Crane, will actually be there. Follow him at CraneNBA, and he'll have all the updates for you guys. And then after that, we will actually be doing a recap uh, podcast later that tomorrow night, kind of going through everything and, and covering anything you guys may have missed. So definitely stay tuned. We have a lot of awesome and exciting content coming for you guys between Nick uh, being credentialed and getting to go to some of the Thunder games and cover those, and now Jacob being credentialed with the Blue. Uh, on top of just our everyday normal coverage that you guys can expect from us. You know, We're really excited, very grateful again for you guys tuning in into these uh, season preview podcasts, just the networking we've made from it, and the great, great response. We could not be more appreciative. So thank you guys again. Get excited because NBA is finally back. And until next time, Thunder Up. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.